When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to Conversations with Annalisa Barbieri. That's me. Hello. I'm a broadcaster and journalist, and I also write an advice column. Whenever I research my pieces, I get to speak to various highly knowledgeable experts, and I always come off the phone buzzing with everything I've learnt. These conversations usually happen in private and have to be cut down in order to fit my word count. But here, for the first time, you have a chance to listen to the sort of conversations we have in much more detail and depth. In this episode, we're going to talk about things to look for in your relationship to help you think about whether it's over, whether you can work on these things. Also, it's a chance to maybe look at your own behaviour, given that's the only part that you can actually change and control. And sometimes most relationships are actually about communication. So we give you some ideas of ways to communicate that effectively. Please note, what we talk about is not relevant if you're in an abusive, coercive relationship where these rules don't apply. And at the end of the podcast, I will be talking about some links where you can go and check if you are worried that your relationship is abusive and what you might do about it. I talked to John Paul Davis, who's a psychotherapist, counsellor and author and member of UKCP. I hope you enjoy this episode and learn a bit more about your relationship and maybe a lot more about yourself. The reason I wanted to talk to you about this is it's the undercurrent of, I would say about 90% of the relationship problems I get at The Guardian, but also in real life. Yeah. How would you know if your relationship is over Mm -hmm. or if it's just a blip that you have to work on? What are some of the questions you might start asking yourself? You know, back to basics, what we'd be looking at, I think most of us from a relationship would be that it's a source of support and nurturing in life. I mean, people will often say their basic emotional need is to love and be loved. And if we're looking at romantic relationships, I guess you would want that to be a quality of of that relationship more often than not. I mean, people are all the time going in and out of connection and get irritable or sometimes feel hopeless, helpless. But more often than not, I think we'd probably want our relationship to be a place where, where we felt good. You know, physiologically, we, we would want that relationship to, to regulate us. I guess that's what we'd be looking for from from most relationships. But what often happens, you know, we have that initial falling in love stage 
And um, then that's really, I, I think it's called falling in love because there's something involuntary about it. We see this person as the our soulmate, you know, somebody that we've known forever. But I think a lot of that is actually outside of our control when we fall in love with someone. We couldn't necessarily, you know, pick them out in a line out who it was that we would fall in love with. So there is something about that that's that's beyond our control. And we have that lovely stage where they're the best person in the world and so are we and we are our best self and, and they are too. But I think for the majority of us, that fades over time. And then we're sort of left with our normal way of relating to people. And for most of us, we have quite a problem-focused way of uh, viewing life, you know, whether that's ourselves or the person we're in relationship with or our work, you know, whatever we're looking at. So it's not surprising, I don't think, that relationships after a while can get characterised by uh, being more in that place of an annoyance at times or fear. So more of the criticism, complaint, uh, those kind of things. But of course, that isn't what we want. When you talk about relationships, having to work at them, I just think over time, we have to work to stay more in a place of love with other people. And then that brings us, I suppose, to the question of what are loving qualities? You know, what is it that we should be showing to each other, demonstrating to each other that mean that this relationship is going to be in the shape that we want it to be. Um, so as far as, you know, whether it's a, a, a blip or not, I think that most relationships go through a stage where we get back to, as I say, our normal patterns with people. So most relationships are going to require some kind of work, conscious, deliberate work to stay in the place that we would want to with them. And um, so I so I would say that we should be uh, you know, we need to notice that that pattern's happening. We need we need to notice that this relationship is becoming more of a source of difficulty and distress than uh, we might want it to be over a period of time, probably, as I say, it's patterns of behaviour. And then, uh, you know, communicate that to the other person as well and look at how we might change it. And I say about communicating too, because in relationships, particularly romantic relationships, we can make a lot of assumptions about what somebody's thinking and feeling and that somebody should be able to meet our needs because of this amazing falling in love stage without us even necessarily having to tell them what those needs are. So I think communication is a, is a huge part of this too. So, you know, somebody will say what they think and feel and then the other person will be asked to repeat back what that person's just said. Because uh, again, in, in romantic relationships, I think we can assume in silence a lot of what the other person's thinking and feeling. And because we have a problem focus, we probably assume a problem. You wanted a romantic relationship. The norm was people got married. That only really changed in the last 50 years. Women couldn't get credit cards <laughs> unless they were married, which is insane. Marriage was kind of something you just stuck at, really. And I think a lot of people might see, oh, my grandparents were married for 50, 60 years. Well, they might have been really unhappy. But I also think sometimes there's a problem with what we call our partners. Even as a really young child, I really loathed the phrase, my other half. I remember thinking, but that means you're not whole and you need somebody to make you whole. And people say things like soulmate. And I think those names make you feel like it automatically is going to be great. I don't think real life is really like that. In the past, and I know I've spoken with many other therapists in my column about you bring yourself into the relationship and a lot of your early attachments can impact on that I mean you talked about sometimes people can have go back to a relationship they had with a caregiver and so I think that firstly how much work does an individual have to do on themselves within the relationship and how much work is about 
the stuff going on between the couple. Well, I mean, I'm very much of that school of thought that would be that the primary person I should be working on, including in relationship, is, is my relationship with myself. Because if I'm in a situation where I'm, you know, stressed and anxious, I will certainly, almost certainly, it turns my attention outwards anyway, that state. And then I'll be looking for that other person to help me to feel better. You know, if I haven't got that internal source of, in inverted commas, love, nurturing, support, if that internal dialogue isn't there, uh, I will definitely be looking out to somebody else to do that. And you can understand why somebody would look to their romantic partner uh, to do that for them. But of course, as I say, we're we're in relationship with somebody who has their own distresses and difficulties and work life and family relationships to manage. So I, I would take a step back in from relationship looking at the relationship with the other person to be honest and have a look at how I'm talking to myself you know one of the reasons that I would focus much more on one-to-one therapy than couples counseling is I think it can make a profound difference to all relationship dynamics and couples if I relate to myself differently if I'm much more grounded in my worth and value whatever that sounds like internally for me I'm less likely to tolerate the sort of complaints and criticisms, but I, I will behave towards somebody in a way that models and talk about myself as well in a way that models to them how I want this relationship to be. So I, I think those things are more powerful, actually. Firstly, relationship, as I say, with self, but also once I'm in that place of supporting and nurturing myself, modeling what I want from a loving relationship to that other person. And I can't do that unless I'm in that place internally myself. Can you give me an example of modelling positive behaviour? Most of us, you know, the the most difficult things that we hear about us are in our own heads. I know it's a bit of a a cliche, that critical voice that will come up a lot for a lot of people. And I think that comes from the problem focused part of us. If I'm naturally, you know, if I come out of a meeting and do something well, if I'm supportive to myself internally and say, well done for that, you know, the qualities that I would have demonstrated to have achieved what I have in life and for that meeting to have gone well, saying great what I did in relationship with other people, organisational skills, communication skills. I know this is all a bit formal in terms of the language, but if I'm doing that to myself, I know it might sound a bit contrived and strange, I need that a lot less from other people. And it's always going to feel good coming from other people. This isn't an either or thing, but I'm going to need that a huge amount more. It's going to be a huge amount more distressing if I'm not doing that for myself internally as I go through life. So you're either going to become like super needy, which is really hard for the other person, or you're never going to get it. And so you'll find the relationship lacking when in fact it might be something, a little bit of work that you can do. Is that right? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So that initial phase where it's the falling in love bit, I don't need to be doing that then. You know, when I'm falling in love with somebody, there's something about the chemicals, I think, that I believe I'm, you know, the most special person in the world and that they are too. Throughout life generally, and this isn't just about romantic relationships, I think, but to be be believing that of myself uh, as, as I go through life. And uh, if that's the case, as I say, I, I will not remain in relationships where they're characterised by you know, criticism and complaint, because that's not how I talk to myself. And that's not how I see myself. But for a lot of us, you know, we are harsh critics for ourselves. So it puts a lot of dependence on another person to help us to feel good. We will all get through this initial phase where it's, you know, feeling great outside of our control. And as I say, then we're left with our usual ways of relating. Why are we such harsh critics of ourselves? I believe there is this thing that we're programmed to survive rather than to be happy, which means in order to survive, we have to identify problems. 
and we have to solve problems. So when we're looking out at work or romantic partner, or very importantly as well, as I say, inwards, we will look at difficulties and problems. And of course, we've layered in imagination on top of that basic survival instinct as well. And memory, we can imagine all sorts of problems and, you know, amplify problems. We will have heard stories from other people about problems and it's that thing that if you go into a, an appraisal and somebody says 25 positive things and one thing which is critical, that's naturally what human beings will pull in because of our survival instinct is the thing that we preoccupy about. And you can see from a from like an evolutionary point of view, it's helpful because our survival depends on, you know, taking care of ourselves, that health and safety part physically, but also psychologically. But we all do it. Well, the majority of people that I would uh, be around to see and me personally, you know, much more than we need to. I mean, I understand what you're saying in the sense we are, of course, programmed to survive, but it does sound a bit bleak. We have those different parts of us and, and the, the problem identifying, problem finding threat part is one of them. And then we have the sort of fun stuff, the reward and the drives, uh, entertainment, you know, competing for resources, wanting to enjoy ourselves, the stuff that gives us dopamine, the exercise cinema theater all those things and then we have that connection and love part so love of self and love of others i suppose what i'm saying is because we're programmed to survive rather than to be happy what will naturally dominate if we let it and also this you know a huge factor in this is what was modeled when we were growing up certainly if we saw a loving couple if that's the environment we grew up in we will have internalized those loving qualities within a relationship if somebody reflected back our worth and value then we will internalise that over time. But I do think it needs to be internalised. We do need to see it in somebody else's eyes, you know, loving looks from caregivers. And that's not everybody's experience, unfortunately, as they were growing up. So, you know, they were around people who were much more in that problem identifying part or the reward part. People made themselves happy, their caregivers, by getting more money or alcohol or parties or whatever it might be and and we can only be in one part at a time I think so it can leave some people's kind of connection part love of self and others a bit lacking. What do you mean sorry we can only be in one part? Either in our survival part or the part that's about the fun stuff and the drives and the motivations or in the part that's about love of self and others and of course you know when we fall in love with somebody what they do or that experience does is move us into that love of self part without us even having to do anything about it, apart from be around them and talk to them and think about them. But then I think over time that does dissipate too. So then we have to deliberately work to remain in that part, I would say. You know, be conscious about when I'm around people and with my partner, am I demonstrating those loving qualities? So I guess, you know, what would they be? Gratitude, patience, forgiveness, empathy. So when you say bleak, I mean, it's certainly, as a therapist, I have huge hope is what I see with clients is that we absolutely can and do move ourselves into that part and be in that part certainly in relationships and have very long and happy loving relationships all I'm saying is is that there's a natural human tendency I think to drift out of there and go into that problem finding part yeah I definitely recognize that you said that you know 25 compliments and one negative and that's what we'll focus on and I think most people can identify with that and it's really annoying actually I have to work quite hard sometimes to look at the big picture I always say to my children look at a situation like a mosaic there's that's the big picture you're focusing on one little square of the mosaic but actually if you step back there's all these other little squares most of them are positive depends what we're talking about one of the things that I know a lot of people say to me in real life and online through my column is about their partner being very defensive. 
So they'll say, I asked him or her to do this. And instead of just saying, I didn't do it, they got incredibly defensive. That's just one example, but it comes up a lot. What might that be due to? I mean, I think defensiveness is is people getting annoyed, actually. So somebody's feeling threatened in that situation, psychologically threatened. And what a lot of us might do when we feel threatened is, is get angry. You know, anger is a secondary emotion. It comes in on top of fear or hurt or that something's unfair. So when people say, you know, I, I might notice that somebody in the room as a client is getting annoyed, for example, and I would say, what's happening now? And they might say, I'm feeling defensive. We are believe that we're defending ourselves. That's what our body's doing. But actually, we're getting annoyed. And annoyance, we then into that territory where we lack empathy for the other person, where it's I'm right, you're wrong, and it's disconnecting from the other person. So I think it's a very familiar psychological experience for people. Nothing is going to happen productively for the relationship when somebody's in that place, I don't think, because they can't hear. When we're annoyed, we don't listen to what somebody else is actually saying. We hear their reasons as excuses. And also the other thing, when we are annoyed, we tend to perhaps verbally attack somebody when we think we're defending ourselves. You know, it's, it's quite difficult to know the difference when people are in that place between defending themselves and attacking someone. I think the most helpful thing, if you're communicating something, uh, your distress in a relationship is to own your experience of it. So to say that when you do this, I feel this. And also beneath it, to, to identify those feelings beneath the annoyance. You know, annoyance tells us that a boundary has been crossed, but beneath it will usually be anxiety or hurt, as I say. So communicating them and owning it does tend to be a more helpful way to do it, I think. Let's take an imaginary couple. Person A, I'm not going to give them a gender, says that person B never takes out the bin. And they say, you never take out the bin, la, la, la. And person B is like, gets really defensive, sort of just saying sorry. I mean, I suppose what they both need to look at are the subtitles, what they're saying and what they mean. It's not really about the bins, is it? <laughs> it's about so much else. And so person A may feel ignored or not listened to, then, and person B may feel like constantly got at. I mean, what might be going on there? What might the subtitles be? The message that's being, that my anger's telling me there when I'm getting annoyed about it is probably that somebody else is taking me for granted, that they're undervaluing me, that I do all this within the household. So why can't they just do that? So as you say, there's usually something, it's usually taps into, uh, you know, an ongoing pattern for somebody that's perhaps unfairness. It could be that kind of thing. But I think it's important, as you say, not to focus on that particular moment, but to look at underlying themes in the relationship. And I would say that naturally, I know perhaps it does sound a little bit bleak, but when we are in an ongoing relationship with somebody, we do often take them for granted. We do often, I mean, we will take our health for granted. If we if we have it, we will take potentially our job for granted because we're problem focused. And that is not the place of saying I'm grounding worth and value. You know, one of the big things about a gratitude practice and why it's around a lot and why it's helpful to introduce it into life, to, to say, to be conscious of things that we're grateful for, is that sort of counters that and puts us into that place of grounding the worth and value. And that's just to hold an expansive view of whatever it is. So, you know, I would say in this situation, if I'm focusing on the fact they don't put the bins out, fair enough to raise it. But I would also be making sure that I'm making conscious all the things that they do do 
and all the ways in which I do appreciate them, not even necessarily in language to them, but certainly in my own mind. And then I suppose I will make the decision as, as to whether or not it's worth raising. One of the things I also think is really important in all relationships, not just romantic ones, is for people to look at their place in things. I think it's very easy to blame, and we're talking here about relationships, but your relationship on your partner. And sometimes people get really angry with me when I say that. And I think, well, but you're the only part of the equation that you can actually change. Exactly. I also wanted to talk about patterns, which you've mentioned a few times. You've said if we've seen things growing up around us, we can either think that's the way to do it or we can actually jettison it and go for the opposite. You might have looked at it or somebody might look at a situation and think, oh, I don't want to do that. That's not something I want to repeat. It was distressing to see whatever somebody grew up with, you know, a mother criticising a father or vice versa, you know, a father demeaning a mother, laughing at her. So we can certainly think that that was distressing. That's not what I would want in my relationship. But the difficulty that a lot of us have, I think, is that if you grew up in that environment, there wasn't necessarily those loving qualities being modelled. So seeing a lived experience of love, I suppose, you know, that may not happen for some people in that situation. In therapy, I have a lot of people, of course, it tends to be feeling that is the thing that I have difficulty with, whether that's, that's anxiety or anger. or So there's a lot about communicating feeling. But most of us grow up in environments where, of course, people are feeling all the time. Getting our needs met and, and communicating what we feel, even the language around it, is just not there. There's a practical thing, I think, from the, the point of view of how to communicate it. A question that I would often ask people is, what is love? for you. You would say that you would want from your romantic relationship, I think, there may be other things, but a lot of people would say they want to, as I say, love and be loved. But what does that mean to you? Because if if what it meant was growing up in an environment where people criticised each other or complained or whatever it might be, as much as you know you don't want to feel like that, what are the qualities that you want to see in your partner? And taking that step closer, what are the qualities that I'm going to show to my partner to show them what it is that I, I want from the relationship and how this is going to go? One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yes, I think it's very important really to know what you want and to be able to communicate that with your partner and also work out if you can, if it's ever going to be achievable or what compromise you are prepared to make because I suppose there is a bit of compromise. I mean, I would like to make really clear at this point this is for a sort of, in inverted commas, normal romantic relationship. It does not apply if you're in a domestically violent relationship or a coercively controlled relationship where completely different rules apply. And at the end of this, I will be putting links to places if you think that's you. Imagine someone's listening to this and they're thinking, yes, yes, communication, I've tried it. I think it's over. I'm not sure still. I remember years ago, someone telling me about I think it's the Four Horses of the Apocalypse or something um, by Dr. John Gottman. There were four distinct things to look for in a relationship that was not great, really. Can you tell me a bit about them? Yes, I think it's criticism, contempt, defensiveness and stonewalling. What would I say that people are feeling? Because I would focus a lot on feelings as a therapist, I suppose, that when those are part of a relationship, it's probably that people are getting annoyed a lot. If I'm feeling contempt towards somebody, I'm angry with them probably. If I'm feeling defensive, again, there's a strong component of anger there. Stonewalling somebody, that's often silence that comes from anger. I mean, it can be silence because I don't think there's any point explaining something because it never seems to work. But I think, you know, these relationships will often be characterised by anger. So certainly that is not inevitable as far as relationships. That's not something that has to happen. I do think it's something that can quite often happen. So I would suggest, you know, that people work at it. And most of our behaviour is not actually thought through consciously how they work it out. I'm not sure, but sort of 80 to 90% of what we do is unconscious. So it means it's sort of below the radar, particularly as I say, romantic relationships. So actually to say to someone, you know, when you do this, if you laugh at me in a group or make a joke about my career, whatever it might be, I feel hurt when you do that very often if you communicate that to another person so rather than being in the anger and saying you're so annoying or you're so rude when you do that you always do that because nobody always does anything you know the the binary the sort of either or absolutes of anger just are bound to trigger the other person so if we focus more on communicating that we feel hurt by something which is all worried for the relationship i don't want to be in a relationship where i feel like this a lot. So if I communicate to somebody that it worries me that this is a pattern and um, I would like it to be different. And then I think it's handing it over to the other person because often when we do give a criticism to somebody else, it triggers the part that gets defensive and annoyed. So I wouldn't necessarily continue in arguing in that place. If somebody loves us and there is that attachment there, when they feel calmer, it will percolate through often and result in a change in behaviour, hopefully. But if that's not the case over time, then I wouldn't suggest, you know, remaining in a relationship where it's characterised by those qualities. Another thing that the Gottmans have said, which is quite interesting, sort of qualities of great relationships. One of them is that the, the two people turn towards what each other enjoy. So, of course, we're all 
you know, we all have differences in relationships. So there'll be different things that we enjoy, but they sort of share enjoyment of things. And if one person points out, gosh, isn't that amazing? The other person in the relationship tends to look at it too. And really importantly, me and my partner, for example, if I do something that hurts her feelings or irritates or annoys her and she raises that, that I turn towards it rather than as you say, get get defensive or angry about it. And that might not be possible in the short term for somebody. If we criticise people or say something which can be perceived as a criticism, then it does naturally, I think, because of this survival part, trigger a defensiveness. But, you know, relationships are a long game. You have two people with completely different experiences coming together and they're not always going to, you know, respond to each other in the same way. And the other thing about those criticism, contempt, defensiveness and stonewalling is that if I think we might all do them occasionally, but it's when they become the predominant situation, how your relationship is quite a lot of the time, then that's really really might be time to look at. Definitely. And if you've communicated it and somebody's still not doing it, when you say about getting into relationship with people that are different, you know, at the beginning you said about my other half. I think there can be an element of that, that we, we go for similarities, similar values, that's appealing or we wouldn't be together. But we also go for difference as well, because that completes us. For some people psychologically, I don't think this is a conscious thing, but if I'm naturally more introverted and the person I'm attracted to might be more extroverted. So when we couple up and go into a social situation, they can do a lot of the socialising. We're sort of stronger together there. But I mean, if you're looking at people with narcissistic traits and strongly narcissistic traits, they might couple up with some people who are very empathetic because, again, you know, the empath does a lot of the feeling mm. and says, well, have you thought about what that person wants? And perhaps you should be careful around that. And and then the narcissist does whatever they bring, the, the drive, the the reward stuff, the status. I mean, there was something I was going to put on my Instagram, but I didn't put it up because it didn't sound very empathetic. That said, you need to replace your wishbone with a backbone. And you can see why I, mean, <laughs> I didn't put it up. But the point that it was making, I think, is that an empath, for example, might always believe that there is a part of that narcissist, a sort of loving part, an empathetic part that's just waiting to be uncovered you know, and that is that I have that. That's a very strong part of my life. And I project that onto another person. Uh, you know, the thing that I would say, and that's once you've given somebody the opportunity and time for it to percolate through and time for behavior to change. I mean, empathy can be learned, of course, human beings can, can learn it, but it, it isn't always going to be the case that somebody will or that they can. Some people just aren't willing to do that. So I would be listening for, you know, the extent to which somebody else is taking responsibility for their behaviour, where they're talking about whether they want to change, how they're going to change. Because as I say, if we're getting into a habit where two people are blaming each other, and nobody's actually looking at themselves. It's not much fun. No. The point you made there about, you know, communicating what you may find difficult about the way another person behaves. I mean, I think that is a key thing. If you've identified something that upsets you and you communicated it in a calm way to your partner and they don't listen, that to me would be a little bit of a red flag because I think that, like you said, we don't always know what we do that upsets the other person. You know, you and I have said this many times. It's really important to start with the I statement. You know, I feel like this, not you make me feel because that instantly puts people's backs up but if they don't listen and they've heard it then you need to really wonder 
why I've had a problem I'm working on at the moment for my Guardian column about a woman who says that her boyfriend says that she's fat. She's not. And she tells him how it makes her feel and he stops for a bit but then doesn't and then goes back. And I've ended my column with saying, you, you know, I think you need to look at, he knows what makes you feel crap and he uses it. And that to me is a worrying sign. So that's something that maybe people could look for, you know, not great. Can I communicate this? Will it result in change behaviour? Not just with your partner, but also you have to be prepared to listen to them. Right, because they're going to have things that they struggle with in the relationship too. I mean, that scenario you're talking about, somebody lacks empathy there, don't they? And with the best will in the world, I know if we're told that we've hurt somebody's feelings by what we say, we know theoretically that we have and we shouldn't do that. And I would like not to do that. But those pathways as far as empathy for other people some people have gone through life really not developing them at all you know they've used their brains for the survival stuff or status reward work promotions but we can't have a relationship with somebody else I think without empathy without using our imagination to think what it's like in somebody else's shoes and I would say you know in that scenario somebody's struggling to do that of course if he says oh gosh I'm so sorry I've done it again I'm going to work on that I'm going to continue to try to do that as I say something like empathy is a skill that can be learned so I would give somebody the opportunity to do that of course and some people might need a partner who is more empathetic or caring or whatever than others some people might be listening to this and say well you know my relationship doesn't look great but I'd rather it than be on my own and that is something I used to hear a lot growing up I was really lucky my mother taught me very young if you can learn to live on your own you can do pretty much anything and I'm really grateful to her for that lesson in life and I did spend quite a lot of time living on my own getting to know myself but I do hear it a lot what would you say to those people their, their relationship isn't great it might even make them unhappy but they prefer it to being on their own I would always want somebody I suppose ideally to come into a romantic relationship knowing that they are okay on their own if you are okay on your own it's because you have a self-belief you can talk yourself through things, you can self-soothe, uh, you know, regulate yourself, take care of yourself psychologically, physically. And also it's going to be lovely to be in a relationship with somebody else who can help you with that. And at times when you're feeling low to do that too, and vice versa, you know, taking care of another person feels good for us as well. Um, but I think that's the place from which to come into relationship. But a lot of us will not be doing that, unfortunately. So as I say, it puts a lot on, if you look at codependent relationships, it puts a lot on the other person to do that. But that sort of goes back to this, the, the most important work I would say within a relationship is that I work on myself. You know, leaving aside, as you, as you talked about, the kind of horrendous domestic violence situations. We're, not talk, we're talking about a situation, I think, where things are becoming a bit more critical than they were or somebody doesn't seem to be listening or whatever it might be. Not those situations where there's clear, we need to get out. That work on self, making sure that I, my greatest source of love and support and nurturing, and again, I know it might sound a bit cliched, but is me, is, um, is, is I think the way to come into relationship. And if two people come into relationship in that way, it's going to work incredibly well. It's something that's going to more often than not enhance their lives. Uh, you know, I would say, you know, there's nobody in this world you can't live without. And the trouble with people coming into relationships with low self-esteem and, you know, however you might frame it, is that they believe that if they leave them, and it might not even be a conscious belief, but underneath they're not going, you know, they're going to die. It's that part of the brain that gets triggered. So, of course, you'll stay and if you're surviving, you'll tolerate anything. I would say to those people, if that's how you feel, 
maybe think about what does make you feel good and which people in your life make you feel good and see if you can spend more time with them to bolster your self-esteem so you get to a point where you can look at the relationship more critically and, and less out of desperation because I think it's very hard for people in a relationship that's you know okay but not great to really leave it if they are frightened of being on their own and that might tap into all sorts of attachment issues that they had so maybe you know trying to do a little bit of work on yourself in the relationship so that then you can appraise more from a position of power I guess than desperation definitely I remember somebody sort of represented it in circles kind of thing you know there's a circle with you and the other person in it as the couple and then there's a separate circle of them and then there's a separate circle of another person and then in that sort of codependent tendency that somebody might have if they've struggled with self-esteem and those kind of things they want to enmesh completely with the other person so other relationships tend to fall away or perhaps other friendships just aren't around and it can put far too much pressure on one relationship I think there is no way that somebody else can meet our needs constantly certainly if we're not meeting some of those ourselves so absolutely I would try and maintain relationships with other people they're very good for the romantic relationship we have having interests that I enjoy that's sort of separate to the relationship people that I love that I see outside of the relationship all those things but making sure I'm doing things that I love work-wise and in, in my spare time all, all really important things to be doing if you know for self-care generally but also for the relationship actually. One of the things, Jean-Paul, we haven't talked about is sex. And I think that's because it's a whole separate subject. And I'd like to do a separate podcast about that. But also sex is sometimes seen as the be all and end of a relationship. So if the sex is good, the relationship must be good. And if the sex is bad, the relationship must be bad. And that's I've learnt, not really true, is it? No, certainly not. Sex, that sex drive part is an aspect of self. If you can combine it with intimacy and love, that's amazing, isn't it? It is interesting, you know, I've heard of people who go to couples counsellors and the, the couples counsellor suggests, I'm assuming they're telling the truth, but they need to, you know, start to have sex with their partner when their relationship is characterised by these uh, you know, the types of things that I'm talking about, the defensiveness of the stonewalling. And I think that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. I can understand why somebody would suggest it because it you get the oxytocin and those sorts of chemicals and hormones going again, which are about bonding. But personally, I, you know, I think establishing that emotional intimacy and connection is, is key here. Well, intimacy also, I learn, is about really knowing where the other person is at. It's not necessarily about physical intimacy, although that you know, hopefully comes too. But it's really about an emotional intimacy. And that's also about letting yourself become vulnerable. That subject is massive and will be covered anon. We've spoken about a lot of things and given people a lot of things to think about. Can we just run through a checklist so that somebody can just maybe think about where they're at and what they might do next? The place that I would start with, because a lot of us would come out of awareness of this over time, is an awareness of what we feel from moment to moment. I mean, there are some great apps available where it's just asking you to check in with yourself and say at particular the times of the day what it is you're feeling. Because as I say, a lot of what happens in relationship with another person, we don't even think about consciously. We're not even noticing, perhaps when they walk in the room, that we become anxious that when we're around them, they're annoying us because we don't fit, drop inside. Anxiety, anger, send us out. So the, the primary thing I would say to know whether this is a relationship where something different needs to happen is what I'm feeling in it. 
So that's the first thing I would say is, is dropping inside when I'm around that person. And then I would look at what I, you know, what I would like it to be characterized by. So what qualities would I like for me to be demonstrating to them and for them to be demonstrating to me? And I would say as listing those qualities of, of love, I know it might sound a bit strange, but we'll be making assumptions and acting on the basis of it at the moment. And a lot of that is not thought through and conscious and would be dependent on what we saw. And some of that might work brilliantly for some of us, but you know, there are other aspects that might not. So I would be conscious about love, what the qualities are, what I want to demonstrate and what I want to see from another person. Then it's moving on to communicating it. Thank you so much to John Paul Davis. If you'd like to read his book, it's called Finding a Balanced Connection. John Paul's website is thistrustedplace.co.uk. A couple of things I've always found really helpful, and we talked about it in this episode, is looking at your place in things because you are able to change your behaviour. So maybe look at how you speak to your partner and how much you communicate effectively to them. And it's always good if you are complaining about your relationship to your partner to start with those I statements. They can completely transform a conversation. I've actually learned that a few years ago and I've tried them to great effect. So instead of saying you're driving me mad, you can say something like I feel not listened to or whatever. The I statement is really good at diffusing. If you do think you may be in an abusive, coercive relationship, there are two organisations you should look up womensaid.org.uk and refuge.org.uk who also has a helpline 0808 2000 247. Both the websites have checklists so you can go through them. The content of this episode doesn't apply if you are in an abusive relationship. The series is produced by Hester Kent, the music is by Toby Dunham and our artwork is by Lo Cole. Follow us on social media, on Instagram, at Pocket Annalisa. You can read my Ask Annalisa Barbieri column in The Guardian magazine every Saturday. And we'd love to hear your suggestions for topics you'd like us to discuss on future podcasts. Please email us at conversationswithannalisa at gmail.com. If you enjoyed and benefited from today's episode, do please share it with someone else you think might find it useful. And it would mean a lot to us if you could give us a review on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening and do join us again. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hello, this is Annalisa. I started doing this podcast because it's an idea I really believe in. So much so that I decided to put my money where my mouth is and self-fund the project. I really want to keep releasing this podcast for free. So if you enjoy this episode, a way you can help is to visit our ACAST supporter page and give what you can. You'll find the link in the episode description. Thank you.